Thanks for listening to the Wellspring Church Podcast. Why don't you grab a seat and uh, pray with me. Oh, Father, we are just so, we're so grateful. Uh, We are thankful for your son. We are thankful for our king. Uh, A king who laid down his life. A king who defeated death, a king who leads us now, and a king who we will one day spend eternity with. Thank you, Father, that we can gather, that we can worship him. Give us clarity. Give us focus as we hear his words today. And may we never be the same because of our time with Jesus. We love you. We thank you. So in your son's name, amen. 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 Well, good morning. If you're a guest today, uh, my name is Trey Kelly. I'm the lead pastor here. Thank you. Honors, you're with us. Um, we, are, we are in the middle of a series, as you heard at the beginning, uh, middle of a series called Love MB. Um, and uh, if you attend our church regularly, you've been here for a while, we do this series every single year. Uh, we take three weeks out of our year, and we pause and we talk about <clears throat> what we call our Love and Be initiative. I'm going to explain it to you in just a moment. Uh, but the reason we do this is because it is a crucial part of who we are. It's our core. It's our DNA. And if you've been around a while, you, you've heard us talk about this before. You've even heard us talk about it this way before. And as I said last week, we are doing that because we are trying to create a family. We are trying to create shared language, shared experiences. It's the exact same reason when you gather with your family, you tell the same stories over and over and over again. And if somebody tries to leave out a detail, you say what? No, 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 you're not telling it right. And so that's what we're going to do uh, for last week, this week this week and next week, because it's good for us all to be reminded of why we do what we do. Um, And if you're a guest today, man, if it's your very first time with us, thanks for being here. Um, It's possible you're here today and you don't even believe um, what we believe. Uh, You're here because somebody invited you. You're kind of checking out faith. And and man, I I, I mean this. Uh, We're honored you're here. Um, We designed our church for you because we wanted to create a place um, where people could be safe to ask their questions about Jesus because we have a God big enough for your questions. Um, and here's what we know. If, if you seek him and you open yourself up to him, you will find him. And he will change your life. And one day you will not be looking at us. You will be joining us in singing and praising uh, his name. Whew. Because he really is the king of kings. Um, so what is Love and Be? Why, why, why are we doing this series? Why do we pause? Why do we do this every year? Uh, here, here's the wordy answer. Love and Be is Wellspring's initiative to resource nonprofits in our community that are making Horry County a better place. Um, let's simplify that a great deal. Here's what Love and Be is. It's Wellspring's attempt at changing the world. Um, a lot of people say they want to change the world. Uh, what we do is we find organizations that are changing the world, and we partner with them. And so uh, since, we, since we've been a church, we have constantly sought organizations in our community that are making a difference, that are, that are effective, that are helping improve the lives of the people who live here in Myrtle Beach. And as we find these organizations, we ask them a very simple question. We say, hey, how can we help? 
Sometimes they answer immediately. Sometimes they are suspicious, and I understand that. And so after we've built trust, we're like, no, really, we just want to help further what you're doing. We believe in your mission. How can we help their answer? Been doing it almost 15 years. Always the same. Well, we need money and volunteers. That's what every nonprofit needs. And so for us, practically speaking, what is Love MB? It is the time we all come together and do a couple of things. Uh, one is when we come together and we give. Uh, next week, we are going to take the Love MB offering. Cool thing about that offering is 100% of it goes out the door to support our Love MB partners, to tell their stories. Uh, that money doesn't stay with us. It all goes out the door. And so if you're a person who grew up and maybe you've seen TV shows or you've read articles and you're a little suspicious about giving money to churches, first of all, I apologize. Um, a lot of guys that have my title have created that in your heart. And I understand why you feel that way. And I'm sorry. Um, but here's the cool thing about this one. It goes right out the door. All right? We don't keep a penny of it. It goes out the door to serve our partners. And so if you have a heart for our community, we've done all the work. We have vetted all, all, the, all the organizations. And what we do is we ask them to submit grant proposals. We talked about this last week. And then after we see what comes in, we allocate those funds. And, and it goes 100% out the door. Uh, last year, you guys gave um, almost $94,000. And so that was able to go out the door. And just, just keep it going. Over the life of this, this, this offering, you guys have been able to give away over half a million dollars. Uh, half a million dollars. And so thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's truly a, truly a dream come true uh, to be a part of an organization that, that does this. And it's, it's your generosity that drives it. And so anyway, uh, we give. We're going to take that offering uh, next week. I hope you and your family will be a part of that. Um, we'd really love to have maximum participation. That's kind of our goal. So that we can say as a church, we all invested uh, in our community. So we give, but also remember they need volunteers, so we serve. Uh, many of you are wearing your t-shirts today. It's because you've been a part of a love weekend, a love week. You've served uh, some of our community partners, and, and you've, you've built relationships. Some of you have actually continued serving, and, and today we're actually going to talk about that piece. We're going to talk about the value of serving, why we as Christians need to be in the community and serving people that don't necessarily attend our church, may never attend our church, but why it's important um, that we're in the community serving uh, other people. So we give and we serve. Why? Because we believe it is, without a doubt, the best way to love our community, which, if you were here last week, is the one thing Jesus said. It was his, it was his last command before he was arrested and executed and came back to life. He said, hey, guys, whatever you do, love each other. Love each other because that is how the world is going to know that you are mine. And he taught us that because of something we talked about last week and something we're going to talk about uh, for the next two weeks. Um, if you consider yourself a Christian, you know this. And uh, if you're new to faith, I want you to understand this very, very clearly. We believe beliefs change us. I'm a Christian because of my belief system. I'm a Christian because I chose to believe in Jesus. I place my faith in Jesus. I'm not a Christian because I'm a pastor. I'm not a Christian because I do good things. I don't have to perform my way to Jesus. When I chose to place my faith in him to say, Jesus, I believe you came to earth. I believe you lived a sinless life. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you came back to life to prove I could live a new life in you. When I believed those things, I became a Christian. My eternity was secured. He didn't say, well, I'm going to put you on a six-month introductory period, and we're going to see how you behave. Thank God he didn't do that. Beliefs 
change us. It's really important we get this. That's the power of our faith. It's a belief system. We believe it. Now we're home. We believe it and we're forgiven. So beliefs are wildly important. They're what change me. They're what change you. Beliefs change us. But the reason we have to act on our beliefs is because behaviors change the world. Every one of us in this room began to believe in Jesus because someone in our life behaved like Jesus. You were not changed because of your parents' beliefs. You were changed because of your parents' behaviors or your aunts or your cousins or your roommates or your spouse. It was their behaviors driven by their beliefs that changed you. And it's what has always changed the world and what will continue to change the world. I know this because it worked. And if you've been around Wellspring for a while, you probably know where I'm going. Some of you have been around so long, you could teach this part. And that's okay. I love to talk about this. I love to talk about the powerful worldwide change that was accomplished through the very first church. Some of you, like I said, you heard me talk about this. Others of you have never even thought about it. But I want you to, I want you to picture with me for a moment how Jesus left his church, how Jesus left his movement, right? At the critical moment of his death, as best we can tell, there were maybe three followers at the cross, and one of them was his mom. They abandoned him. He comes back to life. Some of them come back. But again, as best we can tell, there was 150 to 200 followers when Jesus ascends into heaven. Fast forward about 300 years into the future. His movement is so powerful. His movement is so prevalent. His movement has so transformed the known world at the time that the leader of the world, the emperor of the Roman Empire, who himself believed he was supreme authority of all things, submits the knee and bows down and makes Jesus the Lord of his life. He says, Jesus, I'm the emperor, but you are my king. Now, what in the world happened in those 300 years? How did those 200 people who were worshiping a rabbi from Nazareth that no one had ever heard of, how in 300 short years did his movement become so widespread that the emperor becomes a Christian? We don't know why he became a Christian. Some people say it was genuine. Some people say that it was political in nature. When I get to heaven, I'm going to look for him. I hope he's there. But what happened? Been around our church, you've heard me talk about this, but, but I've got to tell you again, sociologists have studied this. And it wasn't the Christian's belief system that changed the world. It was their behaviors in light of their beliefs, specifically in the tough moments. Now, history tells us that there were at least two, maybe three major plagues that happened in the Roman world between those 300 years. And every single time there was a plague, most Roman citizens panicked 
they fled because most of them either had no religion or they were pagans. They believed in the Roman gods. And if you know anything about Roman mythology, it's very similar to Greek mythology. The gods had no love for humans. They kind of viewed human as their playthings. And so death was horrifying. And so if something happened and, and there was a chance of death, they would flee. They would get out of town as quick as humanly possible. And if any of their friends or their family or their neighbors or their coworkers fell sick, the Romans would wipe their hands of them and abandon them in three seconds flat. They had absolutely no, qual- no, no qualms about that because it was like, hey, man, you got sick. God must hate you or the gods must hate you or somebody's doing something to you, but not my problem. They would abandon them. You know, one of the first groups to flee each and every time the Plagues would get rough. The pagan priests. I'll let you do with that what you will. There was one group of people. History tells us they didn't flee. The Christians. Primarily because they couldn't afford to. They didn't have a summer cottage. They didn't have a place out of town where they could flee. But they stayed. And because of their faith in Jesus, they didn't fear death. And so, turns out, these plagues weren't as deadly as everyone thought. And you could actually nurse people. If you cared for them, you could nurse them back to health. And so the Christians did that. They stayed. They took care of each other. They took care of their community. But then they did something no one imagined they would do. They saw the abandoned friends and family and neighbors and coworkers. And the Christians didn't only take care of themselves. They didn't only take care of their own friends and their own family. They began to take care of the strangers. They began to take care of the people abandoned by everyone else. And as I said, the plague wasn't as deadly as everyone thought. You could be nursed back to health. And so these people would be nursed back to health by these Christians. And when they got their wits about them when they came back, they would say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. My family left me. They assumed that the gods were punishing me, that I had done something wrong. And you helped. Why did you help? Why did you behave this way? And the Christians would say, well, we behave this way because of what we believe. Would you like to hear about our beliefs? What do you think those people said? Yes, please. We believe in this man named Jesus. And person after person after person gave their life to the king of kings. After 300 years, Constantine becomes a Christian. Now, what some of you don't know is a few emperors later, this guy named Emperor Julian comes along. He's not a Christian, doesn't have much for Christianity, tries to bring Rome back to paganism. Only the people won't go. They won't abandon their faith. They won't give up Jesus. And we know this because we have a fragment of a letter that he wrote to one of his governors complaining about Christians. And here's what he says. He says, recent Christian growth is caused by their moral character, even if pretended, and by their benevolence towards strangers. I know if you've been here for a while, you've heard me read this a thousand times, but I can read it every day. Because of the power of what he's saying here. This person who is actively working against Christianity says they're too good. They're too kind. They're too loving. And I don't buy it. 
No one's that nice. No one loves your spouse that much. No one's that honest. These people, I don't know what they're going, I don't know what they're doing, but it's working. Notice he doesn't mention their belief system. He doesn't talk about substitutionary atonement. He doesn't argue about salvation. He says the way they behave is changing the world. Let's keep going. He says, I think that when the poor happened to be neglected and overlooked by our priests. In other words, when the people we're charged with caring with weren't being cared for, the impious Galileans, he's talking about Christians, observed this and devoted themselves to benevolence. He's saying those pesky Christians noticed that we weren't taking care of our own people. In fact, we had abandoned them, and they had the gall, they had the audacity to step in and to help. And what he's really saying to Arsacius is Arsacius, how do we compete And the answer is, he couldn't. And the world can't. And nothing can compete with God's people obeying God's word and loving on behalf of his son. Those of you who consider yourselves Christians, do you know you are a part of the only organization in human history, guaranteed success by the God of the universe. His church, not necessarily this church, his church will prevail. How do I know? Because the Roman Empire emperor bent the knee. And almost 2,000 years later on the other side of the planet, we're still talking about Jesus if I don't say his name, some of you don't even know who the Roman, Empire is, Roman emperor is that bent the knee. He's a footnote in the story of our king. Simply because a group of people decided, hey, we believe in this guy. We're going to behave like we believe what he says. Because in the last sermon Jesus preached, before he went to dinner, before he was handed over to the Romans, he says, this isn't negotiable for us. This is a thing we as Christians are expected to do. If you have your Bibles, turn them to Matthew 25. That's where we're going to be. If not, it's going to be up on the screen. In Matthew 25, again, this is Jesus' last sermon before he's executed and comes back to life. And in this last sermon, he takes his followers and us to the very end of time. Here's what he says. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. Now, Son of Man is a title from the Old Testament that refers to the Messiah. Jesus himself referred to himself as the Son of Man 
all the time. He knew he was God. And so he's talking about himself in the third person. And he's taking us to the end. And he's saying, at the end of time, when Jesus, when he's saying, I, when I sit and I reign in all my glory, when the angels surround me, when I sit on the throne, listen to me, if you consider yourself a Christ follower today, you'll see this. In fact, Jesus says, we'll all see this, regardless of what we believe. He's saying at the end, when he reigns in all his glory, watch this, all, all the nations will be gathered in his presence, everyone. And he will separate the people, the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Now don't miss this, here's what Jesus is saying. Regardless of your belief system, regardless, at the end, Jesus will be sitting on a throne. And everyone will bend the knee. Everyone will proclaim him God. And then it says he's going to separate. And he uses the image of sheep and goats because that was a, an image his, his people would have readily understood at the end of each day. You had to separate the sheep, you had to separate the goats. And so it's just a mental picture for, to make it very clear. At the end of time, we're all going to kneel before Jesus. We will be separated into two groups. Now, please hear me. Jesus is the one doing the separating. And here's what we're told. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. To those on his right, to those who have believed, to those who have placed their faith in Jesus, he will say, come, you are blessed, inherit what my dad has prepared for you from the beginning. Blessed because of the favor we receive from God by placing our faith in him. But also don't miss, it says we inherit this. This is an inheritance. Do you know what you have to do to inherit something? Breathe. That's it. You don't earn an inheritance. An inheritance is something your parents prepare for you and you get when they're ready. They could be ready before they're gone or it could be after they're gone. But we don't earn an inheritance. Just like we don't earn our salvation. It's a gift. And Jesus is saying, at the end, there's this promise waiting, this blessing that my dad's been preparing for you. Come and earn your inheritance. And then, as we're walking in, he stops and says, and oh, by the way, thanks for listening to me. And like, what do you mean, thanks for listening to me? Here's what he says. He says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. I was naked, you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Jesus is basically covering the gamut of human need. You helped me physically. You provided for me when I was naked and in poverty. When I was sick, you nurtured me. You think the first century church forgot that one? I was in prison, and you visited me. Prisons aren't fun places today, but in the first century, people were sent there to be abandoned. And here Jesus sits saying, hey, thanks for visiting me. 
in prison. Thanks for taking care of me when I was sick. Thanks for, thanks for serving me. Thanks for putting aside the things you were doing in your life and setting aside it. And thank you for taking care of me. Now remember, Jesus is talking to all of us at the end of time, which means those of us who consider ourselves Christians, we're going to be in the crowd and he's going to thank us. And here's how I'm going to respond when he says that and how you'd all respond because you're all thinking it. When did I help Jesus? When did I do that? And that, that's what Jesus says, that we're going to go, uh, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When, Father? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? When? when? I wish I had known. I wish I had known it was you. When, when did we ever do that? And here's how Jesus is going to respond to us. He's telling us in advance. And when we get this, guys, it changes everything about the way we behave. It certainly changed the way the first century church behaved. And the king will say, I'll tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it. Here's what our king said. When you serve anyone, you're serving me. You know what every other king said? Don't you serve anyone except me. Jesus says, no, 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 no. When you love people, when you serve people, when you help people in my name, especially the least of these, you're serving me. Why? Because you are obeying And here's what Jesus was revealing. Here's what the first church got. And here's why we spend so much time ensuring we serve and love our community. Simple. How we treat the least. Not the least important. Not the least valuable in God's kingdom. There is no such thing as a least valuable person. You have never locked eyes with someone Jesus doesn't love and Jesus didn't die for. But Jesus said least. What does he mean? I think he means how we treat those people least able to pay us back. How we treat people least likely to return the favor. I can serve my neighbor if I know next weekend when I'm out of town, he's going to repay me. Anyone can do that. Jesus is pressing in. He's pushing. He's saying, no, 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 no. It's how we treat people that never, ever, ever could do us a favor, that could never return it, that can't help us get that promotion, that can't put in a good word for our kids at school, that can't help that coach play my son. No, 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 no. It's how we treat the least, those least able to do anything back for us, how we treat the least. What reveals who we value the most? Because how we treat the least reveals whether or not we believe Jesus. Because Jesus says it's how you treat the least. Those that are hungry and thirsty, those that are naked or sick, those that are strangers or in prison, it's how you treat them that's going to catch my attention. It's how you treat them that I'm going to brag on you about as you walk into my kingdom. It's how you treat them that I'm going to high-five you for. And you say, why, Jesus? Why? And it's so simple. Jesus says, because I got a message built on the idea that God loves everyone, which means it is crucial that his people love everyone. We 
can't create cutouts. We can't push people off to the side. We can't look at what's in it for us. We serve everyone. How we treat the least reveals who we value the most. Why? Because our help validates our hope. That's what the first church got. What do you think they thought when they looked around and all of a sudden there were sick people in the street? They were strangers. They remember what Jesus said and they were fighting. They were tripping over each other to get to the stranger so they could serve Jesus. No, 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 that one's mine, that one's mine. No, 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 don't you do that. I'm gonna serve because he died for me and he's changed my life. And he says when I help other people, it's like I'm helping him and I love him, so I'm gonna help everyone that I see. And 300 years later, the emperor of Rome bends a knee. But wait, there's more. Because I know what you're thinking. All right, man, that was 300 years. And I get it, that was cool, but it's, it's 2023, man. Have you looked around lately? We're not changing the world. There's so much going on, and there's this, and there's that, and there's this, and there's that. It just feels overwhelming, Trey, and I don't know. I'm just so busy, and I've got all this stuff going on. You want me to serve people? Like, that doesn't even sound fun. Like, who wants to do that? Why would we do that? And, man, man here's, if I knew it would work, okay, if I knew it would work, I'd probably do it, but I don't know if I can fit it in my spare time. Like, I, I, it just seems a lot, man. It just seems a lot. Good for you. It just seems a lot. How do you know? How do you know it's going to work? It's a great question. I want to show you a picture to answer it. You know what this is? In the background there, that's the Roman Colosseum. Built in the first century. The pinnacle of the Roman Empire. 50,000 Romans used to gather there to celebrate their emperor to participate in the sporting events, to watch sea battles acted out, to watch gladiators fight, and eventually to take glee and entertainment in the suffering and death of Christians. At the time it was constructed, Rome was the most powerful nation the world had ever seen, and this was the height of their power. Where the cross sits, it's called the emperor's gate. It's where the emperor would enter the Colosseum. It's where he would watch over the events. It's where he would, in his supreme authority, begin the games, end the games. It's where, if you've seen it, he would give a thumbs up or a thumbs down. It's where, at the time... A man believed himself to be God. Ruled what he believed to be his empire. At the time it was constructed, Jesus was over in Judea saying to his 12 followers, anyone who would listen, you trust me, you follow me, we're going to change the world. And now, 
in that seat of power where emperors <laughs> decided the fate of Christians. There sits not a plaque to an emperor, not a memorial to the great feats of the Roman Empire, but a cross. And a cross doesn't symbolize Roman power. It doesn't symbolize all the executions carried out in the name of Rome. No, the cross symbolizes a Jewish rabbi who never left his home region, who never set foot in Rome. But the cross is a testament to the life he gave and the empty cross is a picture of the resurrection and the life he promises me and he promises you. Now, can you imagine having a conversation with a first century Christian and saying, hey, have you been to the Colosseum? Are you crazy? I can't afford to get in there. No, I've never been to the Colosseum. Have you seen it? Yeah. Well, hey, one day, one day there's going to be a monument where the emperor sits to our Savior. What? No way. Rome's the most powerful. What? No, 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 no. See, remember what he told us? Remember how one day he's going to sit on the throne and every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess? Remember that? Remember that? I'm telling you, one day there's going to be a cross at the entrance to the Roman Colosseum and the men who sat where that cross will sit will no longer be celebrated and venerated. They will merely be footnotes in the story of our Savior. Don't tell me that God can't change the world. And don't tell me he's going to do it any way other than the way he always has, through the obedience of his people. So we are just crazy enough to believe that in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, in 2023, that a group of men and women can commit themselves to the very same thing the first church committed themselves to. We are going to love the least. We are going to serve the least. We are going to serve everyone and help everyone because we believe that is the best way for them to discover the truth of our Savior. It worked 2,000 years ago. It's still working today. You don't believe me? Go to Rome. Go to the Colosseum. And there's a cross. So what might God want to do in our community? What might God want to do in your neighborhood? What might God want to do in your school system, in your children's school system? What might God want to do through each and every one of us? And he's simply waiting for us to embrace the truth that he taught almost 2,000 years ago. That beliefs change us. Thank God they do. We rest in that freedom. But it's behaviors that change the world. Wellspring, I'm challenging you. And I'll high-five you because you've been doing this. Let's continue to be people who allow our beliefs 
to inform our behaviors. Let's behave like Jesus and let's not limit the scope so that one day we can look back and say, Jesus, I didn't know it was you. But yes, when you were hungry, I fed you. When you were thirsty, I gave you something to drink. When you were naked, I clothed you. When you were a stranger, I took you in. When you were sick, I cared for you. And when you were in prison, I visited you. Because I believe in you, Jesus. And that belief has changed my behavior. And you use it to change the world, and I'm so grateful. Today, you have a chance to step into a new behavior. We have several of our partners in the lobby. Just go have a conversation. Hear more about their story and see if God begins to pair your heart with their heart. Sign up for Love Weekend. It's coming in a few weeks. Put into action what God is doing in my heart and in your heart. And I'm gonna give you a chance to think about it. We're highlighting a partner each week and today we're gonna highlight Habitat for Humanity. We've got a great story uh, of what they've done. I want you to watch that story and then we're going we're gonna to take our offering and then we're going to sing one more song. And, and my challenge to you is as you watch those stories, as you, as you sing those songs, give Jesus permission. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I have built my life in you. Where would you like me to bring my behaviors in line with my beliefs? It's a completely open prayer. And here's my challenge. When he answers, and he will, Step. Align your behaviors with your beliefs and believe that he's going to use those behaviors to change the world. Check this out. The support from the community is extremely important to Habitat and the mission. Um, we wouldn't be able to do the work that we do without the community, whether that is monetary donations, um, donating materials, or just donating time to work in the restore or volunteer on the construction sites. We are able to create a happy, healthy community for the families that we're serving. But whenever we first partner with families, these families come to us because they have a need for safe, decent, affordable housing. But we get to give them what we say a hand up, not a hand out. We walk through the home buyer program with them. We do the financial literacy classes so that they can learn to budget and learn what it's going to mean to be a homeowner and how to be self-sufficient, self-reliant, and build equity and build a better life for not only their, themselves, but their children and all the future generations to come. I wanted to become part of Habitat uh, because I was looking for a safe place, affordable housing um, for myself. Uh, just somewhere I'd said, you know, and I can partner with other people to help me, you know, to build my house because, you know, it's kind of hard, you know, just jumping out there and saying, oh, I'm going to buy a house. The community support when it comes to Habitat is awesome. We have different churches, um, different organizations, just lending the helping hand. Um, not, and it's just from the heart. It's you know, it's the love that they show to each and every one of us um, with any donations, gifts, or whatever it may be, or being there to support and help us build. It's it's just awesome. You meet a lot of different people. Um, 
and you know you connect with people and some you may even know um, it also it brings families together that's been apart so it's it's good it's great while in the habitat for humanity program we have to complete a certain amount of sweat equity hours um, those sweat equity hours consider working in the restore building on the construction site um, different group activities such as the golf tournaments, the home show and Foxtober festivals and things of that nature. Um, today I'm here at the Ford's family house and we were cleaning up and getting things ready so they can begin to close on their home. Um, we painted in here and put flooring down and things of that nature and it's just you know, I'm here to help them because they can't be here today due to, you know, whatever reason. So that's how we partner with other families. So doing these projects at others' houses um, while I'm in the program, I've learned a lot. I've actually learned how to build a house. So um, that's fun. Um, I've learned to lay floor, put up siding, which happens to be one of my favorite parts of the process um, with the actual build. Um, I've learn, you know, things how to upkeep your house. So whenever you do get in your house, you know, you know what to do. You don't have to rely on anybody else to do. You can do it yourself. So it's, it's a lot of learning. Um, we at Habitat, we are trying to provide these families with a hand up, not a handout. We want to set them up for success. We want them to be self-sufficient, self-reliant, and be able to start their homeowner journey at the best, best place possible. And so whenever they get to move into their home and they have, you know, they have a pantry full of food, they don't have to worry about right off the bat going and spending money on filling the pantry. They get the gift card to buy lawn equipment so they can keep up with their lawn, which is a huge part of being a homeowner. You have to take care of not only your home, but your land, your property. Um, they get these, they get new beds to sleep in. That's, they get to move in and they have a comfortable, safe place to lay their head at night. Um, the Chromebook that they get to continue their budgeting, that's huge because in the program through the financial literacy classes, they have to learn how to budget, how to cut back on expenses so that they can be financially stable and financially responsible. As I walk into my house, it will help me, like I said, to make sure my grass is nice and cut. Um, I can go ahead and begin the family gathering cookies with the groceries that'll be provided. Uh, keep clean laundry on a daily basis and don't have to worry about going here and there to wash laundry. You know, nice, comfortable beds and everything. The Good Start program will definitely help me. Habitat is a great program. Um, the thing that I love is actually partnering with other families. We, me and some of the home buyers became really good friends, you know, and we stick with each other. We help each other. We, you know, talk with each other, pray with each other. So. That's the thing that I really do love, um, you know, just getting to meet new people and having that connection with everyone.